In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Jesus, we ask you to help us convert towards making the greatest treasure of the universe the center of our life. And we will pray about our Lord's true presence. We have his true presence in the tabernacle. That's called the Eucharist as a sacrament. The traditional theological term for the tabernacle that contains Christ is the Eucharist as sacrament. There's another true presence, and it's the presence of Jesus redeeming the true presence of the cross, the true presence of the redemptive sacrifice. So the Eucharist is all about true presence. So I could contemplate in the fullest sense of the word Jesus' resurrected presence in the tabernacle. And then during exposition and benediction in a more poignant way as he's exposed in the monstrance. And when I go to Mass, or when I celebrate Mass, I am witnessing at close range that event called the crucifixion and death of our Lord on Calvary. Now, as we all notice, subsequent to the consecration, immediately following the consecration, the priest proclaims, mystery of faith. This is a mystery of faith. We cannot comprehend how this can occur. But right now we want to pray about it because everything hinges on the Mass. In a certain sense, every devotion is an extension of the Mass and must lead to the Mass. Therefore, it's not new, but the Second Vatican Council said it with tremendous precision that the summit of the Christian life is the Eucharistic sacrifice. It's the high point. How much do I get out of the Mass will depend on my preparation. Now, I don't mean just coming a bit early and getting centered. That's important. But something much more remote than coming before Mass, which is important. I would even say to have a contemplative experience of the Mass, you need to get there early and pray and settle down and contemplate. How much we get out of the Mass hinges on our presence of God throughout the day. It hinges on how well we embrace the cross. Three incidents tell us how spectacular the Mass is. I always bring him up. I have special devotion to that 
Jesuit priest who wrote two books, one autobiographical with God in Russia, Walter Sizek, and then a profound book that includes meditations and recollections of his sufferings in the gulag of the former Soviet Union. The book is called He Leadeth Me. And maybe in both books, but at least in one, he explains, not directly, implicitly, I don't even know if that was his explicit intention. He was an American Jesuit from Pennsylvania. We won't hold that against him. I'm just kidding. And he was a very tough man and Polish extraction and wanted to infiltrate the Soviet Union and evangelize, keep the faith alive there. And he went to a school called the Russicum, where priests or future priests would study the Russian liturgy so that they could celebrate Mass in the Soviet Union. And that was started by Pius XI, called the Russicum. I don't think it exists anymore. And their goal was to get into the Soviet Union. Anyway, long story short, World War II started. He was in eastern Poland. It got absorbed by the Russians. He was arrested eventually, accused of being a Vatican spy. Bottom line, he spent 20 years plus there. During his later years there, he would be hearing confessions, distributing communion, saying mass, all that within 48 hours straight. During Holy Week, he was working nonstop, probably a little bit of stop. He wasn't an angel. So just for the bare necessities. But virtually 48 hours, it's, it's, it's in his memoirs. He gave retreats. He gave tons of spiritual direction. And finally, the authorities wanted him out. They didn't want to take his life because they'd cause a riot. But the key here is, and this is the point is not to put us all on a collective guilt trip, but you know the average temperature was 30 degrees below zero. So it's a little colder there. And in those days, you couldn't receive the Eucharist if you did not fast from midnight to the time you received the next day. And so the only window they had to say a secret, have a secret mass was when everybody was heading off to breakfast. And there was a half hour break. You know, you went to breakfast, you got cleaned up a little bit. And so in that moment, he would say mass in the barracks. You had to make a choice. Miss breakfast and go to mass or have breakfast and not go to communion. You couldn't do both. And many relinquished their breakfast. Now, this doesn't need any elucidation, but this is a work camp. This is a slave labor camp. This is cold weather. Perhaps they had food in their pocket or something like that, but they could not have that breakfast if they were going to choose to go to Mass. And he relates in his diary or in his memoir how this energized the people 
and how they thought they were tremendously rewarded. Just giving up a little bit of breakfast was so worthwhile to attend this secret mass. And he would do it over his cot. That would be the altar. And everything very rudimentary, of obviously no vestments. He had the mass memorized, etc. And if you got caught, you ran the risk of being executed. Starting with himself. Now, I have to get into the meat of the meditation. But I read another book, and he's mentioned by Pope Francis in his encyclical on sanctity. And he preached a retreat to St. John Paul. And he was in a Vietnam prison for 13 years, Cardinal Tuan. And his canonization process, I think, is opened. While he was in that prison, guards were converted to the faith. John Paul used him in the Vatican. He was finally exiled out of Vietnam after 13 years. Nine of those years were in solitary. He would say Mass too, and some kind soul would smuggle in a little wine, and the chalice was the palm of his hand. He would put a few drops of wine and obtained a little bit of bread. Don't forget, and this was a rice diet culture. And he would also, in secrecy, say Mass. And he also narrates how the Eucharist was a powerful source of spiritual energy for him and conversion. I only went over two, but i got to get into the substance of the meditation. Let's read this from St. John's Gospel, because it does talk about the Mass without saying the word Mass or Eucharist. So, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. There's a lot of content to this. The modern citizen of our society wants to see Jesus. If people are going to come back to the church, if people are going to give consideration to Jesus, They have to see him in us. They need to see the face of Christ in me. Opus Dei, and the church for that matter, celebrates an enlightenment St. Jose Maria had at Mass that would extend Opus Dei to women. He saw Opus Dei, and what did he see? He saw a light, a grace to bring Christ into the heart of the modern world. If you struggle to be a saint if you make the Mass the center of your life. It was usual that you would, when you had found an institution, it would either be for men or for women. This is 1928. And he said there would be no women in Opus Dei. And then on February 14, 1930, at Mass, God contradicted his desires. Not that it was anti-woman. He loved his mother. He loved his sister. He loved Our Lady. But that's the way they did in those days. A man would not start an institution for women. And it's good to be reminded what that light meant or means. It is basically to put into practice these words, to answer this request. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. In the classroom, on the farm, on the football field, on the basketball court, in the operating room, in the law office, in the state assembly, 
as garbage is being picked up, whatever profession. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I don't know enough. The culture has damaged me so much that I'm not interested in right now, not, at least not immediately, some moral explanations. And I've heard this before from young people. They don't care if I'm morally correct in my arguments. Listeners say that. We want to see Jesus. I want to see a saint. Or I want to see a budding saint. Notice how Jesus responds. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip, and they both told Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, well, let him in. If they want to see me, let him in. Come on. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus saying, and I'm going to read it. Those are not his exact words. He's saying, make the mass the summit of your life. It's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. When we talk about evangelization and holiness, especially with an American pragmatic mentality, it's, it's initiatives which are good. Maybe it's a phonathon. Maybe it's a mass mailing. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's an op-ed piece. Maybe it's a speech. Maybe it's a homily. No, those are secondary. We need to reveal the face of Christ. How do I do it? You don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it. You let the Holy Spirit do it. And Jesus is going to tell us right now how. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus says, you must become a grain of wheat. No, not a mustard seed in this case. Not a string bean, not a pea, not a radish, but a grain of wheat. Because a grain of wheat, if it dies, if it's ground down, if it's buried in the ground... Then you can turn it into bread, and the bread becomes changed into the Eucharist. But to have that true presence of Christ in that tabernacle, he's got to die. I say this, but I'm making a metaphorical point. He's got to die again on the altar, even though in reality he doesn't die again. That death and resurrection come to the present moment. And i got to join him in his death and resurrection through the cross, expressed in work and expressed in suffering, just like Jesus did. His crucifixion and death was a culmination of his life of self-giving through his work and through his public life. Another anecdote, this is not extraordinary with gulags and prisons. I had a very close friend, I talk about more than 20 years ago now, pretty healthy until he stopped being healthy, until he was diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer. And he had one year to live. And I was chaplain of girl's school called the Willows, which has a connection with Opus Day, And I badly wanted to have a chapel there. One reason is because we'd have mass in a classroom, and the, the windows of the classrooms faced the parking lot, and it was the end of the school day. Uh, boys would come to pick them up, and they seemed to be a little bit more focused on the parking lot than what was going on at Mass. That was not the compelling reason, but one of many reasons. And plus, 
if we're going to celebrate Mass, we want to do it in the most dignified way we can. Have a chapel, a real chapel, where the kids come and pray. And this friend of mine said, so what's on your mind? What can I offer up my sufferings? And so a lot of things, my pastor work, and my dream is to have a chapel here. That dream will come true. And I told him, oh, I don't know. It's going to cost so much money. I don't know how to fundraise. He said, come on. We're the, the grace of God will be there. Come on, Father Peter. Be optimistic. Count on the grace of God. And count on my support, be, my suffering, and my, my apostles. He said, let's do it. You know, he, was, he said, but let's do it soon because, you know, I am deteriorating. Long story short, he, we got that chapel built. And it's a beautiful chapel. And when you go there, you'll see, well, there was a man who lived the Mass in a very intense way. And the parish priest offered to have communion to, given to him every day. And he insisted on being carried to Mass. After a while, he could walk. But he insisted, bring me physically to Mass. His son was very strong and would bring him to Mass. And he did that until practically the day he died. He loved the Mass so much. But how did he live that Mass? Well, his suffering was his intimate connection with Jesus' suffering. What is, what is the Mass? St. Paul says you have to make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? Did he suffer enough? Was the redemption insufficient? I, by joining our Lord on the cross through my work, by joining our Lord to the cross through suffering, I become a conduit of His grace. Or, how should I put it? I retail His grace. His grace on the foot of the cross is wholesale. Now He needs retail salespeople to bring that grace to individuals. That's one way, a clumsy way to explain it. And how do I, I have to buy it? Through my suffering, through my work, I bring that grace. I, I'm not the source of it. I'm the, I'm the distributor of that grace to others. I need to be that grain of wheat. How do I become that grain of wheat? St. Josemaria referred to the workbench as our altar. Not sacramentally. Not liturgically, but that's everybody's altar, whatever they do. And he says, what really counts is how much self-giving love you put into your work. How much love you put into it. And that's how much you're going to get be part of the Mass. Because what is the Mass? Well, the Mass is the very same with some differences. And those differences are extremely important. The priest is the same. Who's the priest? Jesus Christ. The victim is the same. Who's the victim? Jesus Christ. The suffering Christ is the victim. The altar is the same. What's the altar? The altar is his body. The temple is the same. The temple is his person. What's the difference? Well, now the difference is it's not... That's why in the prayer over the gifts, or, or the prayer after... Yeah, the prayer over the gifts... Pray, my brothers and sisters. 
that my sacrifice, meaning Jesus, because I'm in, in the person of Christ, and your sacrifice may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. So my sacrifice, my work, my suffering, become part of Christ's offering in the Mass. And that's an, a source of tremendous grace. I become a better distributor of grace to the degree that I'm in, I can identify with our Lord's sacrificial offering in the Mass. It's no accident that to evangelize, St. Josemaria would teach that the heart of everything we do is how much we can be offering ourselves with our Lord there. Let's read from briefly from Forge, and we could use that for our own meditation, and I'm going to wind this down. While you are at Mass, think that you are sharing in a divine sacrifice, for that is how it is on the altar. Christ is offering himself again for you. And we finish up asking Mary to reinforce these words, and we'll finish. Tell our Lord that from now on, every time you celebrate Mass or attend it, and every time you administer or receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, you will do so with a great faith, with a burning love, just as if it were to be the last time in your life. And be sorry for the carelessness of your past life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.